You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. I'm riding on my bike. I'm going round the block. No, I can't cross the road. I'm not allowed to do that. Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bosswell Users Group radio show on Community Radio 3CR. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners from the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. The show today is for Monday the 8th of June 2020 and uh, my name's Chris. On today's show... I've got a pretty full program. First up, I'm going to be talking to Councillor Jackie Fristacki about City of Yarra and ongoing measures there to deal with COVID-19 and emergency measures they're doing there for cycling and um, parklets. In a second interview, I'll be talking to Dan uh, from the CEO of the Amy Giller Foundation and their campaign they're doing at the moment, which links in well with uh, the Space for Health initiatives happening across Australia. Many of you will be familiar with 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser. It's when you, our listeners, literally keep the station going with your generous donations. It's a vibrant and busy time each June at the station and an all-in effort from our volunteers, staff and supporters. But in 2020, under the COVID-19 restrictions, we need to do things a little bit differently. So stay tuned for our June Station Appeal. It'll be online, on point, and be asking those of you who can to make a donation to keep 3CR alive. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. Good morning, Chris. I'm Councillor Jackie Fristacki from the City of Yarra, long-standing councillor and chair of uh, the City of Yarra Bicycle Advisory Committee, or co-chair with the councillor cell. This Tuesday just gone, 2nd of June, you had a delegate's report that you, know, you, you put towards council during the general meeting, and part of that was to do with uh, cycling provision in Yarra. Can you can you speak to what what happened there at the council meeting? Uh, well, uh, I uh, reported on a uh, special meeting of the Bicycle Advisory Committee, which was held on oh, Friday evening, the Friday, this last Friday, the 29th of May, uh, with a delegates report with the various initiatives that uh, and feedback that we had from members of the Bicycle Advisory Committee in that, apart from the delegates re- reported via a general business motion to Council on cycling initiatives in response to uh, COVID-19. Um, and the huge uptake of cycling, as we, we know, 200% in some routes, up to 700% plus on other Ooh. routes. So massive expansion and issues that have been created, such as on the Capital City Trail and other cycle routes, um, where huge numbers of cyclists uh, need more space. <laughs> also conflict... Um, a conflict but the the numbers of pedestrians on on a shared path like the capital city trail with cyclists in uh, both directions pedestrians and cyclists in both directions to show that with expansion of cycling 
We, we desperately need more room. Can you speak to some of the issues that came up and initiatives that Council might be doing? Just by way of background, Council also had a, uh, an, an earlier general business motion in May by Council Stone on physical distancing and public space opportunities. Also on the Council meeting on Tuesday, we, had, uh, we approved our climate emergency plan, which had, uh, as part of his actions, rolling out the cycling lanes as part of recovery from COVID-19. So that, with the delegates' report seeking measures by the weekend, <laughs> has been a hell of a lot of work being done in council, can I, can I say. You're moving um, fast. <laughs> moving fast. And, and I, I'm very pleased to announce that there are uh, four pop-up measures uh, being implemented this weekend for to support businesses with pop-up parklets. Yep. Uh, that was one of the issues discussed at the Bicycle Advisory Committee and we've got temporary parklets outside for uh, venues in the hour, including Gerald's Bar, Proud Mary and yeah, so I'm you know pretty pleased with, with that and there may be some others as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're in Richmond, Collingwood and uh, Rathdown Village, North Carlton. So, but apart from that, that's, and there may be more for this weekend, depends what can be done today, but there, there's those, those four that will go ahead. Uh, and then secondly, there's some 80 or so measures in relation to cycling, walking, safe routes to schools, um, Capital City Trail, other measures uh, that are being considered next week, it's a special meeting and then a report to go to council uh, on the 23rd of June. But there'll be some more implemented on en route to that where they can be implemented. But the council motion that is on Tuesday night, the general business motion, I mean, it had things like reducing speed zones around school um, and approvals uh, for treatments on arterial roads. Now, those can't be implemented with without uh, Department of Transport role. And part of the um, motion referred to the CEOs and the mayor meeting with state ministers to also seek funding, but also to for expediting approvals, Ooh, um, be uh, emergency approvals. And MAVs and Vic Health have been also talking to DOT, the department, about that as well. So there's a lot of work being done, not only by Yarra, but other councils. Uh, we know it, there's been a lot of PR on Melbourne City Council, but Darabin, Moreland, it's not just inner city councils. I think there's there's um, council across Melbourne are in a similar position where the take-up of cycling has been phenomenal and it's, and it's a great problem to have. As you <laughs> so we don't want to see situations where people are trying to do the right mm. thing by physically distancing yes, and they're inadvertently yeah. placed in harm's way. People need to, you know, single file, you have to slow down. We do need more space and we're looking at doing those things. But in the meantime, well, people have to be sensible and um, single file and it may be, you know, you can't, can't families can't walk for a breast on the Capital City Trail, nor can cyclists, you know, you, oh, yeah, well. you, you need to, yeah, be a bit more sensible. And uh, cyclists can use the parallel Park Street in lieu of the capital city trail yeah park street's got um speed humps on it but if you take it at a reasonable pace i reckon that yeah well i often use park street as a cyclist in lieu of the capital city trail there are sections that are one way you see so Mm. those things would need to be addressed in the north Colton area park street and 
uh, and I live in North Carlton, uh, it's easy to use Park Street in, instead of the Capital City Trail. And you're wiser, actually, as a cyclist to do that in this current period when there's so much traffic on the Capital City Trail. Mm. Park Street's actually quite... Um, it's not that... You know, it's not a heavily trafficked. It's a local road, and um, that's one of the things identified. Can we, can we uh, do do something about Park Street and make it safer and direct cyclists from the capital city? Is there anything that's connecting into the city of Melbourne and or south of Yarra? Because, you know, the, the north of Yarra gets a lot of, you know, interest because of cycling, but there's also the southern area. You think about Hyatt Street or Burnley, anything like that, or is it a little bit too I early? In Richmond, um, that's been, you know, there are, of course, uh, it, it's impacting there and the main Yarra Trail is uh, heavily, I think that was one of the ones that had very oh. high increase. Was it 700% along parts there, increase in cycling? And that's phenomenal. It has been widened a bit, you know, under Punt Road, but not, not to accommodate those numbers. Some of those areas are being examined as well. As I said, they're, they're in the scores of measures and I'm not across, and I haven't seen them yet. So, <laughs> Okay, so this is how but, fast uh, it's moving. Yeah, we can have another meeting, discussion, that information's to hand in a public way, but some may or may not go ahead and depend on prioritising and uh, how can it be done safely, because some can't be done safely and some need DOT approval. So really we've got to prioritise things that can be done on the local roads. Okay. Uh, and you know, the places identified, and that was mentioned at Bicycle Advisory Committee, like Lennox Street is a good route, but it could could have some additional bollards at side streets to warn cars about cyclists because some vehicles turning into Lennox, mm. you can't hear cyclists and it's often an issue and particularly, yes, problems at night. And So how can um, people either find out, it's, you know, is council going to have a running thing on the website about what's happening with initiatives? Well, I think best thing at the community members look at uh, the City of Yarra website for council's meeting on Tuesday and look at the general business item nine, item nine which was the uh, motion passed in. It, well, they were all passed unanimously on uh, cycling initiatives uh, and the parklets, and then also the climate emergency plan strategy for deals with transport. Uh, thing is to keep posted. Uh, We'll have, we'll have information on the website as it's rolled out too. Good, so it'll be an ongoing process yeah, of letting people know. And um, there'll be media releases, yeah, on, on those things. Well, sounds like you're busy down there because there's, there's a hell of enough going on to support the community with, during this um, pandemic. Well, yeah. um, we had the, um, the emergency business and community support package. Uh, the, the aim is really to support, it is supporting our our hospitality sector because they've been decimated by um, uh, the the COVID and and with the restrictions and so many are on well many unfortunately and and tragically for them have gone under um, but there's a lot that are on an absolute knife edge and we want to try and uh, assist them so they can continue and survive a narrow shop front with um, need for 4.5 metre distance square metre and 1.5 distance personal distances it's impossible so that's at least the parklets are are happening Mm. and this is that's terrific because then and they'll be reassessed and it may be some of them will well maybe hopefully all of them will be permanent but certainly some of them and there'll be others that uh, will be assessed and introduced as we go thank you for your time today jackie 
Oh, great to be able to discuss it with you. Look forward to another discussion when we've got more info. <laughs> The media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth and the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare, spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in, it's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people, and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Hi Chris, it's Dan Knight. I'm the CEO of the Amy Gillett Foundation. We are an evidence-based cycle safety organisation that aims to reduce the deaths and serious injuries of cyclists in Australia. So over the last couple of weeks on Yarraboska Users Group Radio, we've been discussing um, you know, temporary measures to do with COVID-19 that's been happening across the world. And I've interviewed uh, Megan Sharkey, uh, Dr Ben Beck, and it seems that the Amy Gillett Foundation have been involved with this as well. You have uh, Dr Ben Beck is a um, involved with the, your ongoing campaign for temporary bike lanes? Oh, he, he, they did a wonderful campaign recently where they had 100 signatories, particularly from research and medical backgrounds, and we were a signatory on, on his campaign. Our, our head of research, Dr Marilyn Johnson, was part of that, and, and we thought that was a really amazing voice for, for all these medical professions saying that something needs to be done for cycle safety. Um, but otherwise... We're not Ben's not part of our program, but we're all trying to get the we're all trying to get the same outcome, which is increased cycle safety, better infrastructure, um, less people being killed and injured. And we're seeing like a gradual return back to work and and people you know avoiding public transport and riding. And it's been a bit of a, a well, very limited uh, response from governments across Australia, despite um, things happening across the world of, you know, putting in um, infrastructure or temporary infrastructure for people riding. Um, so where, where do you see your campaign coming in to help put uh, pressure on and governments to actually do something? Because Victoria, it's it's gone back to the councils to do stuff. And it's, it's where, where do you see this putting support on or putting pressure on the government? because we're still in lockdown in Victoria and I'm based in Victoria and last week the Department of Transport figures were that our roads were already back at 80% of what they would normally be, what, they, what the typical 
usage, usage would be. And that's, we're still in lockdown, schools aren't completely back yet. Uh, so the fact that we're at 80% now, it shows that, that there's going to be an enormous increase in car traffic as people avoid public transport. And the approach that we've tried to take is you've, you've seen around the world different countries are making really quick, really excellent leadership, leadership decisions around what transport needs to look like after the coronavirus. And all of that is around cycling and walking. You'll, you'll see that the UK has done a two billion pound program to increase cycling and walking. And, and Boris Johnson has called it a, a new golden age for cycling. Um, Paris did 650 kilometres of temporary and permanent bike lanes, whole range of countries around the world. Um, New York, same thing, I think it was about 130 kilometres of, of bike lanes. So we were seeing all this infrastructure being rolled out and nothing is happening in Australia. And you see last week, the Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews was talking about people need to stay at home, work from home if you can, we're going to have this problem, but no solution. And the solution is really obvious. If, if, if there's not temporary bike lanes, we're going to have a transport or a health crisis. And three things are going to play out. Either everyone's going to get back on public transport, and um, my, my kids are a good example. They take public transport to school, even though I, I would love for them to be riding. So if everyone gets back on public transport, we, we are at risk of a, a second lockdown. What's more likely to happen is a lot of people are going to drive and we're going to have the worst congestion we've ever had. And then the third outcome that, that is, is quite likely is a lot more people will cycle, but there'll be a lot of beginner and inexperienced cyclists wobbling all over the road. And that's just going to lead to, to more crashes, more people in hospitals. So um, coming back to your, to your question, Chris, we've tried to approach it from showing government that this is not, this is not a huge risk, that there, there seems to be a huge, real reluctance to do cycle change or to get behind the, the cycling community. There's no, no votes in it is, is how we perceive that the politicians view this. So that's the approach that we've tried to do to, to show them that it's a lot more popular than they think. A lot of these things, when you've been around for a while or not, but you see the, the, the politicians take on these things, they think it's either they'll only move on things if there's money or votes in it or, you know, the, the infrastructure sort of thing. And cycling has really fallen off in terms of political, you know, will to do stuff. Where do you see using um, AGF's clout, you know, if you, you've got contacts into government and or advisors, are you going to sit down face to face and talk to them? Because we just seem to be blindsided at the moment. Yeah, and mm -hmm. that's partly what we've been trying to do. And we're also trying to do it from a really uh, unified approach. So I'm, I'm very green in this in this space. I've got a lot to learn. I've been a commuter cyclist for, for many, many years, but um, haven't worked in cycle advocacy before, and I was working in mental health and professional sport before that. So it's been really interesting coming into this space. And at the moment, we estimate there's around at least a doubling of the number of people cycling. So typically there's around 4 million people that, that cycle regularly, and it, it we think it's it's over 8 million people at the moment. So just incredible numbers. And you've seen this on the bike paths and you've seen all the articles around mm. bike shops that have been selling out. And I've been trying to buy a new bike for my daughter because she's outgrown hers and it's been really hard. And so if you step back for a moment and you go, how many activities or how many sports, how many industries 
has somewhere between four and eight million people participating, yet it's still seen as a, as a fringe activity. And, and why is that? What's happening for that for that to not have a really strong voice? And so that's been a really interesting thing to look at. And I think there's a range of reasons that I've been surprised at how um, combative some of the sector is. Uh, quite a lot of, of internal challenges within the cycling sector and people bashing each other or not working collaboratively, which I totally understand. And I worked at Essendon Football Club, so I've, I've, I've seen that. And also in the mental health sector, I was surprised that that was quite combative. Um, but the cycling sector is worse than both of them. Yes. And the reason I'm bringing this up is for, for, to have so many people involved in the sport or in the recreation and as a commuter or whatever whatever way people are cycling and still being seen as a fringe that that's for me means that we've got to we've got to look at changing something because there's a lot of people that would continue to cycle if it was safer and and um that's something that we've been we've been trying to to look at how we can approach it yeah because this is where i could bring up this uh issue that there was an article uh late this week or um, put out by Bike Melbourne criticising the Amy Gillett Foundation. Do you want to just want to speak to a couple of issues on that um, quickly? Yeah, yeah, very happy to. Um, I mean, the first thing that surprised me, and, and uh, the only reason I got to see that is we've got an amazing media manager who, who flagged it, but uh, I've read it. It doesn't have an author, so it's very interesting for someone to, to write a, a critical argument of an organisation and not put their name to it. That for me um, means that it sort of yeah that's a very strange a strange thing for someone to do. So um, I don't want to give something a lot of of, of airtime if they're not even willing to put their name to it. Um, and I also really agree with some of the things that were written in it that that Amy Gillett Foundation um, should fold. I'd, I would love to see that happen. And and the moment that that people, cyclists stop dying on the roads, and the moment that we stop having twenty 20 people in Australia having a really a life-changing injury because they're, they're injured while cycling, then we, we will fall. That's 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 our goal. Our goal is to be defunct. Um, but in the meantime, we think we've got a, a, a pretty strong role. If you have a look at our campaign this week around temporary bike lanes, um, we had a lot of the other orgs behind us supporting, doing it together. And we're also all mostly aiming to get the same thing from, from different approaches. So... If, if we can all work together, we've got a much better chance of, of achieving some, some real change. And it's been strange watching during the coronavirus, you know, this, this horrible time where people are dying, people are losing their jobs. Um, and, and a weird positive that's come out of it is this incredible boom in cycling. And it might be that it's going to take a pandemic for us, for Australia to change its its cycling infrastructure. And if, if that's the way it works, you know, if, it, if it hasn't been because it's it's a healthy alternative, because it's really good for the environment, because it's really good for mental health, because it's really good for physical health, because it saves money on, on road infrastructure. None of those things cut through, but a pandemic does it. No, no worries. Whatever whatever it takes for us to, to increase the, the cycling safe infrastructure and, and, and make it so more people feel comfortable riding. It's interesting noting that you said you, you uh, were at Essendon uh, Footy Club and you're saying the cycling sector is a, is a tough, tough crowd. 
uh, that's something I wouldn't take lightly, but it's a really harsh sector for people to get involved with. And I've seen people come and go over the years, well-intended, want to do something, and then just, like, throw their hands up in exasperation. So I'd say I'd say you're, you're a fairly tough individual <laughs> on the yeah, onset. Chris, <laughs> when I was at Essendon and, and I started just after the drug scandal, I've been overseas working for, for quite a while, and the drug scandal had just begun. So I, I knew I was getting into a challenging situation. No one knew it was going to be as as bad as that and and anything when you're working for a football club you've obviously got all, all the other football clubs pretty quick to, to tell you that you're horrible and that drug scandal was a very unique situation but once you step back a little bit the whole every club's trying to to achieve the same thing which is we want the healthiest competition possible so mm. if, if um, this incredible rivalry between Carlton and Essendon for example but Essendon wants Carlton to be a really strong club so that that rivalry is healthy. And then I moved into the mental health sector and I worked at Origin Youth Mental Health. And, and it was challenging because it's so badly funded. What would happen is, is one of the mental health orgs would get some funding and it's a little bit like Seagulls where everyone else would sort of bash, you know, that funding should go to us and, and our programs are the best. And then moving to the cycle sector, it doesn't feel like everyone's pulling in the same direction. I think the outcomes we all want are 90% of, of are all aligned and some of it's just going to be finding how we do that. Bugs are a part of the key. You know, that mm. there's there's so much that bicycle user groups do that, that an organisation like Amy Gillett Foundation can't do and some of this change really needs to happen at a grassroots level. We're really an evidence-based organisation and, and looking at how we can push government to do more and how we can provide research and how we can um, create a platform for change but some of it needs to really happen at that at that local level so mm. um, the, the better we work with bugs or the more we listen and learn I, I think that's I think that's a great thing yeah because like you know local knowledge will give you where the you know temporary bike lanes need to go where new infrastructure needs to go uh, yeah. it, it's uh, that um, lived knowledge that will tell you where stuff needs to go yeah, absolutely. And, and you'll see the campaign that we did this week. We were calling on federal government to put $300 million into temporary bike lanes. And, and there's some really good discussions around, well, that should all be permanent. Yeah, absolutely, it should be permanent. But if you look at tactical urbanism, the best thing is to start with temporary. It's much cheaper. It's much quicker. If it works, then it's easy to keep it in. And where it doesn't work, it's it's easy to try and change it. But um I had, a, had some, some radio calls early, early this week and, and they were trying to get me to talk about individual roads and that actually needs to come down to the council. And yeah. it's the same with discussions at, with, with the, the federal minister. They're trying to get the council to, to, to fund it. Now, I think that's a, that's a huge mistake. And an example being something like NBN, you'd, you'd, never, you'd never fund every council to do their own version of an NBN and then hope they all align. With something like temporary bike lanes, we think the leadership needs to come from the federal government. We think the state governments need to drive a lot of it. And then we think the biggest voice needs to be from, from councils and, and user groups at that council level, at that local level, yeah. that know what works. Now, that's not us. We don't know that we're not going to even begin saying what should be happening, but we are very strong on saying this needs to be funded, this needs to happen, and it needs to happen fast. It needs to happen in yes. a matter of weeks, not not months or years. If, even if a council is able to put something together really quickly, and we know that there's a small percentage, we estimate around 1% of the councils around Australia, so only about 50 of them, are doing a really good job around um, cycling infrastructure or how they're looking at that. 
So even if those councils all did something around temporary bike lanes, where does it go? It's got to link in with the next council beside them so that you can actually move crossways into town, into the cities. So um, this is an example where if there's not leadership at a federal and state level, then it's just not going to be done. And um, I agree with what you're saying, Chris, around they've had plenty of time and they're not coming up with solutions. Um, and the, the window's closing. So we, we feel um, anxious and frustrated that more hasn't been done. I've just kind of expected, okay, they're seeing other countries are doing this. There's really no other great solution. This is, um, cycling solves so many of it. It comes back to the survey we've, we just did. So I, I'm not sure if you saw the results. It was a YouGov survey that we commissioned, um, a little over a thousand people around the country. And a range of questions. One of the questions was, um, do you support temporary separated bike lanes? And we hoped the numbers would be high. We hoped it would be over 50%. And it was 89% of Australians. This is not Amy Gillett Foundation supporters. This is not bicycle user groups. This is a, a cross-section of the population. And nearly nine out of 10 Australians said they supported it. And that's why we went so hard with this with that this week we had um, a big public campaign thanks to some generous donations we had a, a full page ad in the australian and a full page ad in the herald sun we created a, a short video that a lot of the, the, the bicycle user groups and bike orgs retweeted which we were really grateful for this for the approach um and it was just trying to show government nine out of ten people support this there's there's i don't think there's anything that nine out of ten people in australia support you know that's off the charts and once we said would you support temporary bike lanes to school it was higher and then we also had a, a few other questions for example we said when you're driving would you feel more comfortable if would you feel more comfortable driving if cyclists had their own separated lane and three out of four Australians said they would and that figure was higher once you looked at rural and regional responses so all we're trying to do is, is get that temporary bike lane outcome but show government this is not a risky decision. Uh, in closing, uh, how can people find out more about the AGF campaign? Yeah, go on our website um, and, and there's, there's a video there that's just, it's really focusing on, on families riding and that's the, that's the group really riding a lot more at the moment and that's the group that, that we think um, government's more likely to make change for. So we've got a nice little video. We'd love it if people can can um, can share it, but but otherwise it's it's just um, trying to put pressure on on local government, your state government, to do more around around temporary bike lanes is, is what we're hoping the cycling community can do. This week's Yarra Bicycle User Group radio program should be podcast soon on 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast or go to yarrabug.org forward slash radio if you want to find additional details of what we discussed today. These podcasts are produced at Melbourne activist radio station 3CR. Presenters are all volunteers and 3CR's existence depends upon the financial support of our listeners. Go to 3cr.org.au Click on the support tab and select either donate, subscribe, shop or fundraisers. Your subscription or donation keeps 3CR on air. 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.